Father, I've been thinking about what we, say, what we said in that last song, that I am running into your arms. And I think about this last several weeks as we've been learning how to pursue you better. And that is my prayer for myself. And that is my prayer for us as a church, that we would be a people that are marked by running into your presence by running into your arms. Holy Spirit, this morning we ask that you continue to not only tell, show us how to prioritize that in our life, but give us a renewed passion, a renewed strength, a renewed courage to be a people that are running into the arms of our Savior. Jesus, we thank you this morning that we got to declare truths about your love through song. We thank you this morning that we're about to open up your word, which is living and active. I thank you, Jesus, that as the communicator, my prayer is that I become much, much less because you, our Jesus, are the main event. And I pray that you become so much more in our lives. And as we talk about transformation, Jesus, you are speaking to each and every one of us through your word this morning to show us how you want to continue to transform us. Jesus, our prayer as your church, our commitment is that we are here to listen to what you have to say to us. Spirit, we thank you for this time. We look forward to how you're going to teach and grow us. Jesus, in your precious name, we all said, amen. Well, this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to continue the series we've been in for the last several weeks called Pursuing God One-on-One. -on -One. And again, if you're here for the very first time, I'm not only thankful that you're here, but this is a really exciting time to be joining us here at Rocky Peak. Now, the heart behind this series is something that we often say here at Rocky Peak, and that's that God has an epic vision for each of your lives. And what's beautiful about God's vision is that it's much bigger than simply going to heaven when you die. See, God's vision for each of your lives is that you would be transformed at the core of your character to be more and more like his precious son, Jesus. And throughout this series and the life group study that accompanies this series, we've been looking at the truth that we experience that transformation by regularly being in the presence of God. And there's different ways to be in God's presence. We can do it in a large group like this. We can do it in a small group, as many of us do throughout the week, but the most important place we can experience that presence, the most essential place, is in our one-on-one -on -one relationship with God. And so this series and this study has been all about how do we develop that rhythm of spending one-on-one -on -one regular time with our Creator. And so over the last three weeks in particular, we had been focusing on the Bible. How do we develop this one-on-one -on -one rhythm of relationship with the Bible. We looked at what does it mean that the Bible is God-breathed. We looked at how do we read the Bible, especially if we've never done it before. Last week, Michael concluded that by talking about why it's so key to be a people that obey the Word of God and how we're transformed by that. And if you missed any of those messages or any of them in the series, let me encourage you, jump on our YouTube channel, whether by going to YouTube itself or by using the free Rocky Peak app, to be able to catch up and set the foundation for where we're going. Because today, 
We're transitioning a little bit and we're beginning the next phase in our journey and we're looking at how do we develop a one-on-one rhythm of relationship with God through the act of prayer. And so over the next three weeks, we're gonna be unpacking what it means to develop a one-on-one relationship through prayer because as we talk about God having an epic vision for our lives, that also means that God has an epic vision for our prayer lives. See, God's vision for your prayer life is for a vibrant, a deep, a passionate prayer life. And so we're going to be unpacking that in the weeks to come. And so before we jump into that today, what I want to do as I often do as we kick off these mini-series is we need to identify our starting point. See, I often say that authenticity is the first step towards transformation. And so if we're going to allow God to grow and transform our prayer lives, we need to be honest about how we curse currently view and approach this concept of prayer. And so there in the front of your note sheet, you're going to see that I have a section titled Common Views. I think for many of us, we fall into one of these three categories. Now, there are some of you here that when it comes to your prayer life, your prayer life is thriving. The way you pray is beautiful, that it almost comes naturally to you in a church sense. We would call some people like this prayer warriors, and that is a beautiful thing. Now for the rest of us, prayer is something that we need to learn. It is a beautiful thing, but it is something that the Lord teaches us and it is something that the Holy Spirit grows in us. So again, if we're going to grow, we need to identify where we're starting from. And if God wants to give us a bigger vision of prayer, then for many of us, that means admitting that our current view of prayer is a low view or a small view. And most of us fall in one of these three categories or a combination of the three. So here's the first one. The first villain is this transactional. That a common view many of us have of prayer is that it is transactional. And what I mean by that is this is the list of demands approach. That the only time I talk to God is when I need something from him, is when I want something from him. Inadvertently, what happens is we treat God like he's a cosmic Santa Claus, that our relationship with him begins and ends with our list of demands. Here's what I want. Here's what I need. Please make this happen. I'll talk to you again to remind you later again what I want. Now, hear me very clearly about this. Asking God for our hopes, our desires, what we want, what we need, big and small, is a beautiful part of our prayer life. Please don't misunderstand me on this. The problem with the transactional approach is that often, if that's the only way we're talking to God through prayer, then it means our relationship begins and ends with that transaction. Let me illustrate it this way. In my life, if I'm not here working at Rocky Peak or spending time with my family, there is a 95% chance that I'm at Target because Target is a magical place. I love spending time with Target. And when I go and I check out at Target, my relationship is as deep as how long it takes them to ring me up, give me my receipt, and I'm out. 
Don't get me wrong. When I walk up to the nice checker, I'm polite. I even pull out my headphones, which is a big deal for me. I ask them how their day is going. I look them in the eye. I smile. But once I'm done, I'm done. I'm not thinking about their day or their job prospects or anything else as we go on. And I don't have any illusions that they're thinking about me going, man, that guy was nice. I hope that his day and everything goes better. Our relationship is solely dependent on that transaction. And in this approach, this is how our prayer relationship with God is built. It is solely based on a transaction. There is hardly any relationship there. So that's the first view. The second view, the second fill-in is occasional. That for many of us, the way we view and approach our prayer life is that it is not a regular part of our lives, it is an occasional part of our lives. Therefore, how I define this is that if there is not a clearly defined catalyst, we don't pray simply to pray and spend time with God, we need a specific reason to pray. That is the only time we find ourselves praying in our lives. The most common example is is prayer being the 911 call. When there is a crisis, when there is suffering, when there is hardship, we will go to God and pray over that. Pray for deliverance, pray for provision. Again, that is a beautiful thing. That is, should be a part of our growing prayer lives. But the danger of this view is like the transactional, that is the only time we interact with God with prayer. If things are not falling apart, if things are not a crisis, then we just don't think about praying. So that's the second one. And then the third category is one that so many of us, myself included, have often found ourselves in, and that's intimidating. That the way we view prayer is that it is highly intimidating. And what I mean by that is we feel as if we don't know the right way to pray. And what I mean by the right way is we feel that we don't have the right words, the quote, holy words, the spiritual words, the Jesus-approved words to use. We also don't feel like we know what the right posture is. Have you ever wondered in prayer, what am I supposed to be doing with my hands? What am I supposed to be doing with my body? Should I be closing my eyes? Should I be on my knees? Should I be standing in reverence? Should I be doing a combination? And I think for many of us, we are so intimidated in this fact that we don't know how to, quote, do it right, that it scares us from engaging in it because we have this fear that if I don't do it right, then God will disqualify my prayers. If I don't do it right, then he is not going to listen to me. If I don't do it right, then there's no point. In fact, I see this so often in a room full of adults or in a life group or in a volunteer. If somebody says, who would like to pray for us today? Hardly ever hands ever go up. In fact, let me illustrate it this way. 
Imagine that you're in your life group. Now, if you're not in a life group, imagine that you're in a group of adults, about 10 to 12 other adults. And often in our life groups, we close with a time of prayer. Now, imagine in this time of prayer that everybody's going to pray out loud, and you've been tasked with closing the time of prayer out loud. Now, for some of you, just hearing that, you're out. For some of you, you're like, no way, because I'm going to mess that up. But roll with it, will you? So you're going to do this. You're nervous. You're kind of thinking through what you're going to say. And now the person right before you, the second to last person, imagine that they open their mouth to pray, and it is beautiful. It is gorgeous. It is Holy Spirit approved that what is coming out of their mouth is transforming lives. The entire house is shaking. The clouds are parting. You hear the voice of Jesus himself going, well done, my son or daughter. People are crying. Bondage has been broken. And then they say, amen, and it's your turn. If it was me, I would excuse myself from the house. (laughs) And the reason why I share that analogy is for many of us, that's how we view prayer, right? We view it and goes, it feels like other people can do this, but I can't. And so again, take a look at those three common views, transactional, occasional, intimidation. Do you find yourself somewhere on that spectrum, maybe a combination of so? Now, I'm starting with this because here's the encouragement. That is our starting point. Again, as I mentioned, we need to be honest about where we're starting because authenticity is the beginning of transformation. But here's what we're going to see through God's word today. God's vision for you is to have a vibrant and deep a thriving prayer life because he wired you to be able to do so. Prayer is not reserved for the elite. Prayer is not reserved for the super spiritual. As a Christ follower, you have been given the Holy Spirit in your life. A thriving prayer life is not simply God's big picture vision for you, but he has equipped you and he will lead you to experiencing that. And over these next three weeks, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be gaining a new understanding of what prayer is, a bigger view, grasping God's vision by unpacking three core principles of prayer. This week in your study, you're going to be introduced to these three principles. What I'm going to do this morning is unpack the first principle for us. So there in your note sheet, you've got a section titled The First Principle, and your fill-in is this. Prayer is relationship. Prayer is relationship. And it's essential that if we're going to shift the paradigm of how we see prayer, that this be our starting point. Because again, whether you fell on one of those three categories or you fall on some other side of a low view of prayer, I think for many of us, if we struggle with prayer, we would probably honestly say because it feels solitary, because it feels isolating because it can almost feel like a lonely experience. 
Sometimes the misconception with prayer is that God demands us to pray, but he kind of threw us out into the ocean by ourselves. He kind of says, figure it out, and then when you're good at it, we can talk. So this is why we need to start this way, because we need a massive paradigm shift that prayer is not meant to be an isolating experience. Prayer is not meant to be an impersonal experience. Prayer is relationship with God. And what that means is that it is deeply personal and it is something we do not do alone, but in relationship with Jesus himself. See, when we go into prayer, we need a bigger view that yes, we are communicating with Jesus, but what we are doing is we are entering his presence. See, when we enter into the presence of Jesus, we are deepening our relationship with him. We are becoming more known by him, and we are knowing more of the truth of who he is, his character, his vision, his power, his passion. See, for so many of us, one of the biggest roadblocks towards praying and having a thriving prayer life is that Jesus feels like a stranger. And we know how awkward that feeling can be when you try to hold a conversation with someone we don't know. See, when we go into this new view that prayer is relationship, it may feel awkward at first. It may feel like we don't know what to say, but we are in relationship with a loving Father who is patient with us and who has given us the Holy Spirit that will teach us how to not only engage in that relationship, but how to thrive in that relationship. See, what's beautiful about this is when you look throughout Scripture and you look at the approach of the people of God through prayer, they didn't approach it as if something to check off the spiritual box. They didn't approach it as to something that was impersonal or solitary. They very much viewed prayer as a way to grow in the relationship with God. And because of that, they saw prayer as being absolutely essential to doing life well. Because through prayer, we are engaging and deepening our relationship with Jesus himself. See, as Christ followers, we don't pray because it's mandatory in terms of our obligation. We pray because we need the presence of God in our lives. Because it is in the presence of God that we experience him and we experience his transformation. Pursuing the presence means pursuing a deepening relationship with Jesus himself. And as we approach prayer, that's why it's so key to start with this principle that prayer is relationship. Now what I want to do is I want to go to a writing of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament because he, share, he shares a great example of not only this principle, but why this is so vital for our lives. So if you've got your Bibles, open them up. If you've got your apps, turn them on. We're gonna be going to the book of Ephesians, chapter one, in the second half of our Bibles, the New Testament. Ephesians chapter one. 
Now, as you're turning there, let me give you a little bit of context behind Ephesians to make it easier for us to visualize who Paul is writing to, kind of their setting and their historicals, their historical setting at this point. So Paul is writing to Christ followers in and around the ancient city of Ephesus. Now, Ephesus at the time of the New Testament was one of the biggest and most famous Greek cities. So when I say Greek cities, if you think back to your world history classes, picture the columns, picture the big stone buildings, picture the Colosseums. That's the type of city that Paul is writing to. In fact, one thing that made Ephesus such a famous city at the time was that it was home to what was called the Temple of Artemis, which the Temple of Artemis was one of the seven ancient was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Now, Paul had been to Ephesus before in the book of Acts, so he is writing to a church he is familiar with. And one thing to keep in mind is that the majority of the Christ followers are Gentile Christ followers, meaning they're not Jewish. They didn't grow up with a Jewish background. They were never taught about Yahweh or about the Old Testament. And so they began with Jesus and have been learning about everything ever since. So as Paul writes to them, we're going to be starting in verse 15. And in that, the apostle says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Would you underline that last phrase, remembering you in my prayers? Now let's stop there. Let me unpack a little bit about what's going on. So Paul begins with the phrase, for this reason. See, in the verses beforehand, Paul opens his letter to the Ephesians in a common way that he often opens his letters to the churches in the New Testament by talking about how incredible Jesus is, by what happens through the power of Jesus, and how Jesus transforms us. He often opens with a celebration as to who we worship and who our king is. And so Paul is tying that together and saying Jesus transforms lives and he's encouraging these Christians at Ephesus that I have heard stories that Jesus has transformed your life. Not that they are perfect, but that their lives are transformed. He is encouraging them going, I've heard that you are the real deal. Not only are you being transformed, but it's affecting your actions that you You are showing love and building unity to one another. It's a beautiful celebration. And I had you underline that thing in verse 16. I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. As we talk about the prayer, I wanted you to highlight that because that's a beautiful model of what family does for one another. See, it's become a common Christian language or Christian ease, if you will, to say we're going to pray for one another. If you hear somebody give a need or a struggle, oh, I'm going to pray about that. But I know I fall into this trap, and I know many of you can relate that we can say that often, but how often do we back it up with actual prayers? 
How often do we support the people through prayer? And what we see through the Apostle Paul is he is filled with joy and passion to pray over his family. It's not something he says because you're supposed to say it as akin to, oh, how are you doing? Meaning, I don't really want you to tell me how are you doing. That's just what we're supposed to say. We need to get out of that trap as Christ followers to say, hey, I will pray for you. Really, I'm not. And understand that it is our joy and our privilege to be able to go to the Lord and pray for our family together. And then as we continue, verse 17, he talks about what he's been praying for these believers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Would you underline that last part, put a box around it, highlighted arrows, happy face, stars, whatever draws your attention to it, so that you know, may know him better. See, what we see here is the heart and the foundation of the mission God has called Paul to. What we see here is the heart of the mission throughout the entire Bible is that here is Paul writing to these believers, sharing the joy of what he's heard, the transformation, sharing that he is praying for them and he is saying that above all else, I am praying that through your prayer life, you would know Jesus better. Now, let me unpack why this is so significant. See, the early church at this time in history, while it was growing, was also experiencing significant hardship. The church at Ephesus was no different. See, in a Greek and Roman world, there was heavy persecution that came from a belief that there was only one God, not multiple gods. It cost you socially. You would lose friends. You would lose family. It cost you culturally, politically, financially. People in the marketplace would not want to do business with you. You could lose your job. There was mass of persecution socially. There was persecution from the government and the Roman Empire because of their belief. In fact, there were many Christ followers at this church and many of the New Testament churches who were struggling just to be able to provide for their families, who were struggling under the circumstances of oppression from the government. And what's amazing to me about Paul's prayer here is that he doesn't pray for their circumstances. Now, it does doesn't mean that he doesn't care. It doesn't mean that it's wrong to pray for their circumstances because he will intercede for their circumstances later. But here at the beginning of his letter, he is establishing his ultimate priority that in Paul's eyes, there is nothing greater that Jesus could give a Christ follower than a deeper relationship with him. See, Paul is not blind to their circumstances. I'm sure Paul's heart is that they would be financially okay. They would be delivered from persecution, that there would be a new emperor who wouldn't be looking to oppress them as much. And there will be times in which he will pray for those things. But again, his heart reflects God's heart that the greatest thing Jesus could give any Christ follower then and now is a deeper relationship with him. 
that it's a beautiful example of what we mean by saying prayer is relationship. See, some of you have been walking with Jesus for a little bit of time. Welcome to the family. Some of you have been walking and thriving with Jesus for years upon years, if not decades. See, Paul's prayer to each and every one of you, wherever you're at, is that you would experience more of who Jesus is, that your relationship would grow and it would deepen. And he goes on to uh, paint a deeper picture of this in verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Now let's stop right there and unpack this a little bit. So he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. And again, as we've been talking about over the last several weeks, we need to interpret this well because when the Bible uses the word heart, it's a very different meaning than how we often use and understand heart. I've said this before from up here that often we have a low view of heart in that it only means our emotions. That heart is, I'm happy, I'm sad, I'm scared, I'm joyful. That is what we mean by heart. It is an emotional box. See, in the Bible, heart is much bigger. Biblically, heart was understood as being the control center of the entire body. So when we see these references to a person's heart, it's not simply talking about their emotions, although emotions are included in it. It's talking about the core of your entire being. See, the Bible understands that within your heart are your deepest loves and desires, that within your heart are your deepest commitments, that within your hearts are your hopes and your fears. The Bible understands that within your heart, your thoughts and your actions are controlled, that the overflow of our hearts is why we think the way we do, why we act the way we do. So do you understand that when Paul says, I pray that your hearts may be enlightened, that word simply means that a bright light is shined on truth. So again, let's translate this. I pray that the core of your being would have a bright, holy light shining into it to show you not just the truth of Jesus, but a deeper relationship with him. He is praying for all believers that our relationship with Jesus grow in its depth so that it penetrates our core character and everything about us is absolutely transformed because of Jesus changing our hearts. There in your note sheet, I like how Tim Keller puts it in talking about this passage. He says that Paul's main concern then is for their public and private prayer life. He does not see prayer as merely a way to get things from God, but as a way to get more of God himself. And so after unpacking this passage a little bit, let me ask you to imagine something. Imagine what would happen in your prayer life. Imagine the transformation that would take place if we not only understood that prayer is relationship, but if we begin asking in our prayers regularly before all else, Jesus, show me more of you. Jesus, deepen my relationship with you. 
Jesus, let this be a time in which we grow closer together. Imagine what would happen in how we ask and how we intercede and how we enjoy it. Imagine what would happen to the eyes of our heart, as Paul says, if we become more aware of our relationship deepening. Imagine the transformation that would take place. And through that is what I mean by saying that prayer is relationship. I mentioned earlier that we see this throughout the Bible. There in your note sheet, there's an example from the Psalms. David says, one thing I ask from the Lord, the only, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to see him in the temple. See, David is using Old Testament language, but we understand his heart. If I can ask for one thing above anything else, it's to know you more. It's to have a deeper relationship with you. Again, there in your note sheet, Paul writes to the Thessalonians, rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Now, I have often understood this verse as being pray for all things, big and small, and there is a deep truth in this. But again, now that we see this with a bigger picture of what Paul is saying to the Ephesians, when he's saying pray without ceasing, another way you can say is be in the presence of God through prayer without ceasing. Be in God's presence nonstop. This is where we belong. So that's our passage for this morning. Now, in this week's study, and you're pursuing God's study, what you're going to do is, especially if we, if we have not really developed a prayer life in God, the study is going to walk you through some, some logistics, some how-tos to begin to pray. It's going to walk you through some, some steps such as prayer is all about keeping it simple. You don't have to worry about the holiness or the 50-cent aspect of your words. It's going to walk you through that prayer is about being honest. It's about just being real with where you're at because God can take our honesty. It's going to walk us through how prayer is an opportunity to pray for the big and pray for the small, pray for everything. And it's going to walk us through an opportunity to be mindful of our wiring because we have all been wired differently and that's going to come out in our prayer lives. So that's going to be in your life group study this week. What I want to do with the time that we have left is I want to continue unpacking Paul's prayer here. And the results and I want to specifically talk about the fact that as Paul prays for us to have a deeper relationship with God through prayer, I want to look at two big picture areas in which our relationship with God is transformed by seeing and approaching prayer as being relational. So there in your note sheet, you've got a section titled The Result of Relationship. And your first fill-in is this. Prayer leads to experiencing awe. Prayer leads to experiencing awe. One of the most important aspects in our relationship with God is that we often find ourselves in awe of who He is. See, to define that for our purposes, to be in awe of Jesus means to acknowledge that Jesus is much, much bigger than we are. It means to acknowledge that Jesus is much, much bigger than I can even imagine. It means to acknowledge that Jesus is much more powerful than not only what I can see, than, than, than much more powerful than I often give him credit for. 
To be in awe of Jesus is to acknowledge that he is the king, that he is the creator of the universe, and to find a sense of peace in that. Let me illustrate what I mean in this way. Some of you have heard me talk before you know me that I have not had the best relationship with nature. And so nature has never really spoken to me. There are people that love getting lost in nature, that love going to retreats. That has never been me. I love dirty, dusty cities. I love downtown LA, downtown Chicago, downtown New York. These are some of my favorite places in the world. I would like nature if it had more Wi-Fi and Starbucks locations. But without that, haven't been its fan. And then this past October, I went up to Yosemite National Park. Some dear friends were getting married, and so they graciously asked me to officiate. So I went up there, and then I decided, you know what? I've never really been up here before. I stayed an extra day with my wife to explore. And so, Eric, you can throw that picture up on the screen. After exploring Yosemite for a while, I would say that nature and I have come to a new understanding. <laughs> Maybe it's not as bad as I often made it out to see. And I'm half joking, but sincere, but sincerely, where that viewpoint came was from an experience we had where this picture was taken. See, one of the things that we did in Yosemite is we spent the day hiking, and we hiked up these two waterfalls, Vernal Falls and the Nevada Falls. So this is the top of the second waterfall, Nevada. My wife looks energetic and great. She's holding me up because I'm about to tip over. <laughs> And at the top of that waterfall, there's a point where I'm looking out into the valley. I'm looking out into this beauty of creation. And it was in the moment that the Holy Spirit hit me with some wonderful truths that what I'm looking at, and mind you, if you've never been to Yosemite, I'm looking at a small sliver of this beautiful national park up there. As I'm looking at the Holy Spirit stirred and told me and showed me and revealed to me an amazing truth that this is beautifully bigger than I am that what I'm looking at is something that is much more powerful than me, that what I'm looking at is something that has existed and thrived long before I was here and something that will continue to exist and thrive long after I'm gone from this world. And in that moment, I felt beautifully small and at peace. I was in awe of what I was looking at. Eric, you can pull that down, thank you. See, I share that as an illustration that that's how we've been wired to approach our Jesus. That our Jesus is huge. That we are beautifully small. That we depend on his power, on his majesty, on his vision, on his forgiveness. And that is the most peaceful place that we can be. See, what happens, though, is for many of us, our pride and our ego gets in the way. See, prayer being a relationship is a way to keep that in check. Without that, if our pride and our ego gets in the way, we lose a sense of awe and wonder for who God is. And what happens is that when we lose a sense of awe and wonder for who God is, God does not become the biggest thing in my life. I then become the biggest thing in my world. I become the most 
most powerful thing in my world. I become God in my universe. Whether I use those words or not, that's truly how I approach it. See, all of a sudden, it's now my worldview, my view of right and wrong, my hopes, my desires that dictate everything. And God can be a part of that as long as he's willing to play by the rules. But if God is not willing to help me succeed in what I want to do, then I don't need him. And that is reflected in our prayer life. When my pride gets out of control and I become the most important thing in the world, I start seeing God as less and less necessary and I take on the weight of the world onto my shoulders. It is now up to me to hold things together. It is now up to me to lead me to some level of success, the goals I have pictured in my life. And in my prayer life, it goes into those common views we talked about. The only prayer I have is either transactional, God, here's what I need to succeed in the vision I have. It becomes occasional because God, you're either gonna give it to me or not. And if you don't, I'm not gonna continue wasting my time talking to you. And it becomes intimidating, not because we're afraid to do it, but because we're afraid that if we go into God's presence, we're gonna be reminded that we're not the boss. See, as created beings, we need awe. We need this sense of wonder and beauty towards God. And it happens through relationship. See, when we go back to Paul's prayer, what we looked at in Ephesians, is that one of the aspects that he prayed for is that we as Christ followers would experience God's incomparably great power. And what's beautiful about Paul's prayer is that he's not praying this for us so that we experience it one time in our life. He's not praying so that we would experience this once in a while, even once a week. He's praying that we would experience God's incomparably great power regularly that we would experience more of God regularly. That as Christ followers understand, we were not wired to experience the wonder and beauty of God once in a wire. while we were wired, we are currently wired through the work of the Holy Spirit to experience the beauty and the bigness of God regularly, often, always, without ceasing. And when we do, when we engage and deepen in that relationship, it creates a new sense of awe in our lives towards the beauty of God. There in your note sheet, I put another Psalm of David, Psalm 8, which is a great example of the sense of awe and wonder that's found in our relationship with God. Let me read it. Lord, our Lord, How majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens through the praise of children and infants. You have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them, you have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You have made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the skies and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the sea. Lord, our Lord. How majestic is your name in all the earth? Do you catch what David is reflecting on? 
He's reflecting on God as creator. See, in the Bible, the word heavens means the universe, the stars and the planets, the bigness and the expanse. David is not only reflecting in an awe that, God, you created all of this, but he is in awe that even though you created all of this, you spoke it into existence, you know me. You know us. You care about us. You have given us a title and a purpose and a job. God, I am in awe of all of that. And what's beautiful about this example is sometimes our relationship with God is hard. Sometimes there's going to be circumstances and situations in our life in which we are pleading with God for an answer, for deliverance, for provision, and sometimes it's not going to come. But having a relationship with God in which we see him in awe builds a foundation that whether or not I get the specific things I'm praying about, even when they're good things, I never have to question the fact that God is big and that God is good and that God knows me. And so that's what it means that through prayer, we experience awe. So that's the first way our relationship changes through prayer. The second way is this. Prayer leads to experiencing intimacy. Prayer leads to experiencing intimacy with God. And so I mentioned as prayer being a relationship, we have the opportunity to move away from God being a stranger. But for many of us, maybe we have taken that step, but now God is simply an acquaintance. See, God's vision, God's desire for us is to not be a stranger, is to not be an acquaintance, but to have an intimate relationship with his creator, an intimate emotional relationship, an intimate, an intimate a spiritual relationship with us. And how we begin to experience this intimacy is that when we go into God's presence through prayer, we realize that we can be honest and drop the act. And here's what I mean by that. We all have an act, don't we? And what I mean by an act is we all have people or areas in our life in which we try to portray ourselves as better than we are. We all have an act in which we want to portray ourselves as maybe more successful than we are, or maybe more put together than we are, maybe smarter than we are, maybe even more spiritual than we are. And the reality is most of us have an act, and honestly, what links all of us together is because we're afraid of the consequences. We're afraid if people knew that we weren't as put together as we portray ourselves, that if we didn't have the perfect family, that if they knew that I struggled, that people wouldn't accept us that people would look down upon us, that people would say, oh, what's wrong with you? You can't get it all together. See, we all have an act. See, when I was thinking about this in my own life, the Lord brought to the surface how often my act have to, has to do with my role as a parent. See, parents in here, you know that parenting is hard, isn't it? See, I have three wonderful kids, and there are beautiful resources out there. There are groups, there are other parents, there are books out there, but still, there isn't a specific manual for your specific kid. And one thing I've learned with having multiple kids is that they are all very different. 
And what worked with one doesn't necessarily work with the other one, no matter how close in age there are. And there are times in which I feel as if I am struggling. There are times in which I feel like I don't know what I am doing. The car is out of control. And what I find myself is that it is in those times where maybe I'm having a bad night as a father that I open up something like Instagram and see a picture of another family that looks perfect. See a picture of another family in which somehow they got their kids to look at the camera and smile at the same time, which as a parent of young ones, that is a massive accomplishment. (laughs) And what happens? I start to wonder what is wrong with me. How come they can do it and I can't? How come they're not struggling and I feel like I'm just getting by? And so the temptation there is I don't want people to know that I don't know what I'm doing here. And so let me put on the mask. Let me put on the Instagram family. Let me put on this because if people found out that I was a human being, then they wouldn't accept me. See, for many of us, we think that when it comes to our relationship with God, and I know I've struggled with this, maybe you can relate, that we go into our relationship with God and we try to hide who we really are. We try to put on this mask. We think that we're fooling God. And we don't talk about those sins that we keep hidden. We don't talk about those thoughts that we have, whether they're thoughts of anger, thoughts of lust, thoughts of addiction, thoughts of despair. We don't talk about what we think might be the wrong thing because if God knew the truth about us, then he wouldn't accept me. And here's why prayer leads to intimacy, because God allows us into his presence, and here's the secret, he knows who you really are. He doesn't see you as the person you portray yourself to be. He sees you exactly as you are. Think of the magnitude of that. God knows the hidden sins you have. God knew the most horrific, the most vile thought you had in the last 24 hours. And despite that, God calls you into his presence. God loves you and he seeks to transform you through this relationship. See, what I love is there in Unochi, the Apostle Paul later in Ephesians, he talks about this. And he continues to encourage him to experience more. He says that I pray out of his glorious riches, he may, be strengthen, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Remember we talked about what heart means, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and how high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know that that love surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So again, understand what God desires out of you. He desires to have an intimate relationship with you, and so he invites you into his presence through prayer, and he knows exactly who you are, and despite who you are, he loves you with a love you could never understand, with 
with a love that is transforming, with a love that will change the core of our being. He loves you and invites you with all of our failures, with all of our darkness, with all of our shortcomings to be known exactly as we are because the truest relationship is one in which we can drop the act and we feel acceptance just the way we are. And for many of us, we have never truly experienced that. And that is the invitation Jesus has for us through this relationship, through prayer, that when you come into his presence, he will give you all of who he is. He will see you the way you are, but he will not focus on how messed up you are. He will see you through the presence of his son and through his love, which surpasses all understanding, which surpasses all logic, which transforms all kinds of lives, no matter how dark, no matter how vile. The Apostle Paul knows this well as somebody who was one of the aggressors of the early church, as someone who has blood on his hands because of how he persecuted Christians. The Lord transforms us through the intimate relationship we find in the act of prayer. And when we pray... You see how this ties into the first one? We find ourselves in awe that God knows me and he loves me and he transforms me to be more like Jesus. Not to be simply a better person, but to transform me to be more like Jesus. And so through the relationship of prayer, we experience awe and we experience intimacy with God our Father. And so as we wrap things up, I have one last question for you. It's not on your note sheet, but it's a question that's going to come up over these next three weeks. Do you sense the Holy Spirit wanting to transform your prayer life? Do you sense the Holy Spirit wanting to lead you into a deeper relationship with Jesus through your prayer life? Do you sense the Holy Spirit wanting to remove intimidation, wanting to remove roadblocks and calling you to a new level of knowing Jesus? My prayer is that this isn't just a good word for us this morning, but that we allow the Holy Spirit to begin his work of transformation and that we live here, maybe nervously, maybe trembling, but willing to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit and engage in prayer in a new and deeper way. Amen? I'm going to invite the worship team to come on out. And as we wrap up our service this morning, we're going to sing a song, a song that we've sung here before at Rocky Peak, but again, it fits this morning so well, where we declare, we use the word closer, Jesus, I want to be closer to you. This is echoing what Paul wrote, and the beautiful thing about our Jesus is this is a prayer that he answers. This is a prayer that he will meet us in. As we say, I want to be closer, he will show us more of him. He will show us his relationship. And so I want to encourage you, Rocky Peak, let this be a time of declaration, Let this be a time of singing, this is God's vision for me, and I'm going to answer that call. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for a new and a fresh vision of prayer. Thank you for the words you gave us in your Bible through the Apostle Paul. 
Thank you that prayer is an opportunity to deepen our relationship, to know you more. Thank you that prayer is not an isolating act. Thank you that prayer is not a solitary thing that we have to figure out on our own, but you have given us the Holy Spirit to be our teacher. Thank you that this relationship is bigger than our fears, is bigger than our schedule. Thank you that by developing this relationship, we experience awe and wonder over who you are. We experience intimacy because we know you better, but we realize that we are known by you inside and out. Thank you that developing a relationship with you through prayer is transformational, that you change us through it. And today, Father, we have asked, where is the Holy Spirit asking to transform our prayer life? And I pray as a church, myself included, that we be willing to obey, that we follow the leading of the Spirit because the Spirit will always lead to a deeper relationship with you. Father, as we sing this last song, let it be our declaration. As we receive our tithes, our gifts, our offerings, thank you for the opportunity to fund your movement here at Rocky Peak. In your son's name, we all said, amen. Let's stand together.